Well, it is so good to be together with those of you in the room. For those of you online, we're so grateful to join you wherever you're watching from. And to all of our guests that are with us, we're so grateful uh, to share this moment with you. Uh, as Joe mentioned earlier, there is a Connect card located in that seat back of the chair in front of you. And if you'll take a moment as our guest today, fill that out. And before you leave, take it to the welcome table in the back of the room. A host would love to give you a gift for being uh, with us this morning. Hey, Westside, let's give all of those that are new with us, let them know how grateful we are to share this moment with them. Will you do that with me? Yes, and those online, we're grateful to be there with you. So today we begin a brand new series that we've entitled No Days Off, because that is actually what parenting is. I mean, every one of us as parents know that this is a no days off, coach in your face, uh, no rest for the weary, push yourself to the limit opportunity, if we want to even call it an opportunity that God gives us. I mean, this will push you. This will test you. This will test you to the core of who you are. Because parenting, we realize in the role that we have as parents, it is a grind. It builds grit into us. And it takes grit to make it as a parent. So if you're a co-parent, a step-parent, a grandparent, a single parent, um, or if you're parenting with your spouse, um, if this series will help you see parenting in the way that I hope that you see it in a new light. And for those of you that are single, I hope that you see your life in light of who God sees you are, because we're all going to see that together. And we're all going to see our lives in a new way of how God looks at us when, when, when the, these no days off type of lot, days that we have. I mean, parenting is this no days off grind. And, and, and if you've ever heard the adage, I've, I've learned to love this adage because it really means a lot. The days are short, but the years are long. I mean, this identifies what parenting is. Those sleepless nights followed by those long, heartbreaking days as a parent just make those things. And this is what I, I lead, I, I've learned to call brutal. It's beautiful and brutal all together at the same time. This is parenting, isn't it? I mean, those moments when you're holding your child and, and they're getting old enough that they're talking and you just beg. I mean, you want them to say your name first. You want them to say daddy or mommy first. I know that's not us. We, we're the only ones that ever did that, right? You didn't do that. You're more holier than I am. And so, but then, isn't it funny that you just see that as precious every time they call your name? But when they're six years old, and it's like the 30th time, you can't wait for them to stop calling your name. <laughs> it's brutal. You blink your eyes, though, and your daughter is now a kindergarten. And for some of you, like you've told me, you blink your eyes and you're giving them away in marriage. See, the days are long, but the years are short. And if we parent our kids to, to be uh, 18 years old and they, we get to have them in our house for that long, we have 936 weeks to influence them. Think about this. You have 936 weeks to impact your kids. Parenting is sacred. It's set apart. God has placed those under your care for a specific purpose. It's a sacred calling. And it's a sacred role with no days off. And so we need to learn something. We need to learn how to parent for the win. And we must learn to define what the win is in parenting, grandparenting, co-parenting, step-parenting. We need to define what this win is. For those of you who are single, you need to learn what the win is for your life. And hopefully this series, will, this includes you. For those of you that single, you may not have kids even in your life. So what's the win? I mean, there's the win just to keep them alive at the end of the day. I mean, there are days that we looked at each other as a, my wife and I were like, hey, they're alive. 
Is it the win that they grow up to have these social awarenesses and be emotionally healthy to where they can have healthy relationships? Is that the win? Is it the win that they grow up to be successful, achievement, have, have a career, get a degree? I mean, what, what's the win that we have? Do we want them to build wealth? What's the win that you have for your kids? What is the win that you have for them? And what does scripture say about this? What does scripture show us about parenting? Well, let me just tell you this. As you, if you were ever to look for the, the perfect parent or the perfect family in the scripture, it's not there. I mean, the closest thing that we have in the Old Testament is Adam and Eve, and they screw that up for all of us. In the New Testament, we don't have many great examples of family either. We have some very, very few passages that really direct us in the family, but all through scripture, we do have something. This is what I hope to bring your awareness into, that no matter where you are in the parenting spectrum or where you are in your season of life, single, married, or engaged, or, or you're, you're, you're single for a season, or you're single for a lifetime, whatever it may be, you're single as a parent, <laughs> that you can see this, that all throughout Scripture, God is depicted, and he's seen as the perfect heavenly father who loves you and gives life to you. Because this is what scripture shows us. A perfect father who loves you and gives life to you. And it's through this filter that I hope that you will see how we can parent for the win. I hope that through this filter, you see the win and the target and you see what the win is of parenting. And if you can lead and live this way, you will parent for the win. So here's a serious big idea that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. We are to love and lead in our homes the way our heavenly father loves and leads us. That we are to love and lead in our homes the way our heavenly father loves and leads us. And so if you're single, you have no children in your life, or you're single, uh, and, and, and I want you to think about your household in the essence that like in the New Testament, they called the household like this oikos, which is everybody kind of in their sphere of influence. But you have an opportunity as single people to love and lead in those relationships the way your heavenly father through Jesus loves and leads you. And as parents, we have this responsibility. It is our onus. This is the win. See, what would it look like for us to love and lead our family, mom and dad? What would it look like for you to love and lead your family the way your heavenly father through Jesus has loved and led you? What would it look like to take Jesus' new command, a new command which is, was this, this new command to filter and use this as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What would it look like to apply that in our homes? What if we loved our children? What if we would lead our children the way Jesus loves you? The way Jesus leads you. What would it look like? Now, a couple things before we dive into this more, further, dive into this further today is, is this. Now, this statement is for everyone. And so I just want you to take a deep breath right now, okay? Okay, you ready? You cannot be the perfect parent. And for those of you who are single, I want you to write this in. You cannot be the perfect person. Take a deep breath. Isn't it nice? You can't do this. I mean, this is... This, you need to know that you cannot do this. You're not going to do this. You're going to fail. You're going to mess this up. You're not going to be perfect in your parenting. You're not going to be the perfect spouse. You're not going to be the perfect person, you single people. You're, not going, to, you're going to mess this up. And now that we can take a deep breath, I want you to know something. What you cannot do, Jesus has done already for you. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. We're always going to fall short of being a perfect 
husband, perfect wife. We're always going to fall short of being the perfect parent. We're always going to fall short of being the perfect person. And what we cannot do, Jesus, in his life, he lived the perfect life. And through his death, he made up in his punishment that he took on for all of our sins, all of our shortcomings. Every time we fall short of perfect, he takes that upon himself. He took that already upon himself on the cross. And as we put our trust in Jesus, for those of us who put our trust in Jesus and we're committing to following him as Lord in our life, we now have the Holy Spirit as a testimony in our souls, in our life. And he gives us the power to not only just trust in him as Savior, but we can continue to follow him as our Lord. See, while you cannot be the perfect parent, you need to know this, that through the Holy Spirit's work in you, you can reflect the perfect father by being a godly parent who follows Jesus. For those of you who are single, I want you to write this in. You can reflect the perfect father by being a godly person who follows Jesus. You can be this. Being godlike is what God uses your relationships to do. This is what God uses marriage for in your life to help you become more like God. This is why God puts kids into your family to help you be more godly. And you're like, that is the last thing the kids are doing for me. See, God uses marriage to make us more like Jesus. For you that you may not be married, see, God uses your relationships to make you more like Jesus. See, God uses marriage to rip out our selfishness. You know those conflicts that you had earlier on in your marriage? You know what God was doing in that moment? He was ripping out your selfishness, whether you knew it or not. See, God uses those relationships to do this. Now, think about this, and I say this respectfully because I know that this kind of, it, it does exclude some of those of us without kids in our life. But for those of us as parents, God uses children to make us even more like Jesus. See, what selfishness was left in our marriage, <laughs> kids come into our world, and God uses that to eradicate that in our lives. Now, why would God use relationships this way? Why would God use your marriage? Why would God use your kids to do this? It's this right here. See, I believe God is more interested in your holiness than he is your happiness. God is more interested in you being holy, like him reflecting his image, than he is interested in you just walking through this life in full enjoyment of life. Because he believes that your full enjoyment, your fullness and your perfect enjoyment is as you reflect his character, as you reflect him. See, he's more interested in you reflecting the perfect design that he created you to reflect as one made in his image than he is about your happiness. See, your holiness will lead to you enjoying life to its fullness. Your holiness will lead you to truly enjoying and having joy in this life. This is why I believe marriage and I believe parenting is a sacred calling. It's set apart from any other calling that we have. This is why when we humble ourselves in these callings, God will use the process of marriage and he will use the process of parenting to make you and I more like Jesus. This is a no days off work 
of parenting. This is what the No Days Off gig is, to make us more like Jesus so our kids see Jesus through us. I'm going to say that again. See, the No Days Off gig of parenting is so that your kids see Jesus in you. This is why God uses marriage and parenting to make you more like Jesus, because he uses you to show your kids who Jesus is. Have you ever thought of parenting like that? As this sacred calling to be like Jesus so your kids can see Jesus in you? You know, we see parenting most often as a task to give the best to our kids, don't we? I mean, this is how we most of the time see parenting. It's the best way. And I think every one of us really want the best for our kids. I know that. In fact, this is what drives many of us to, to go to the, the, the extent that we do and the extremes we do to give our children what we couldn't have. It's because we want the best for our kids. Or we give them what other people have because we think that's the best for our kids. But do we really know what best is? For our kids? Do you really think that's what's best for them? Psychology experts have been telling us for decades something. In the world of secular science, and this is what they've been saying, the well-being of our children is directly connected to the well-being of our marriage. This is what science has been telling you and I, that, that the well-being of the kids is a direct reflection of your marriage's well-being. How earthly, how, how, now, how healthy your marriage is will determine how healthy your kids are. This is the leading determining factor in your kids' well-being. You know what we've operated like? Many of us, me included, have operated that the well-being of our marriage is based off the well-being of our kids. We, if we can make our kids happy, then in the end, our marriage will be happy. That we'll put ourselves and our marriage on the back burner, and we'll push the kids to the front burner, and knowing at the end of the day, this will make our marriage better in the end. We live like if we can do this, then, then this, our marriage, will ultimately be happy. While this is pithy in the way this secular science shows us it's not as pithy like this in scripture however scripture does also elevate that our marriages are a sacred calling that is to be honored so for all of our married couples today i have a married i have a, a teaching big idea for you and for all of those of you that that are single and, and 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 whether you have kids or don't have kids i have a teaching big idea for you today so for our married people Here's your teaching big idea. A Jesus-centered life, a Jesus-centered marriage, a Jesus-centered marriage is the best gift you can give your children. A Jesus-centered marriage is the best gift that you can give your children. It's the best gift you can give them. And I hope that today that you see and throughout this series that you see that your Jesus-centered marriage will give your children a healthy picture of who God is and what God is like because you follow Jesus and are becoming more like him. It's the best gift you can give your kids. And I want you to look at me for a second. Married couples, look at me. It's the best gift you can give your kids for this reason. So they know that they are secure in your love for them because you're secure in God's love for you and in your love for each other as a spouse. Let me say that again. This is the best gift you can give your kids. So your kids can be secure in your love for them because they see 
that you are secure in God's love for you and that you're secure in your love for each other. It is the best gift that you can give your kids. They want to give them the most security in life? Let them know that you're secure in your relationship with your spouse. Let them know that you're secure in your relationship with your heavenly father and let that bleed into the marriage first. And out of that, let that go into your homes. This is what I hope that you see. And for those of you who are single, you have the same responsibility. And here's your teaching big idea, that a Jesus-centered life is the best gift those you can give around you. This is, the Jesus-centered life is the best gift to give those around you. This is the best gift that you can give those within your care. This is the best gift that you can give as a, a single parent. You can give the best gift that a Jesus-centered life is the best gift that you can give your kids. For those of you that are single, you have no kids. This is the best gift that you can give those in your circle of influence. And I hope that you see that as a single parent, that Jesus-centered life with Jesus-centered relationships around you is the best gift that you can give your kids so that your kids can know that they are secure in your love for them because they see that you're secure in God's love for you and your love for him. This is the best gift that we can give. So husbands and wives, I want to talk with you. And I want to talk and I want to share, encourage you today. And this is how I want to encourage you. Your marriage is the foundation to your family. Your marriage is the foundation to your family. When you are married, when you commit as, and you make this vow before God and you make this vow in the witness of others, that this is your family. You become a complete family unit. You do not need kids to become complete. Some of you need to hear that today because of your struggle for kids and you feel incomplete. I want you to know that, 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 that you are complete as a family, as a husband and a wife. And I want you to know that your marriage was there before kids. And your marriage, when it's Jesus-centered, God willing, it's going to last after kids. See, your marriage is the most important thing. It's the foundation in your family. Your marriage is so important that your marriage becomes the first filter by which your children will see God. And if some of us are honest with ourselves, we're going to admit that it was because of our parents and the choices they made that we projected that onto God. And maybe that pushed us away from God. See, this is why this is a sacred calling. It's the first filter by which they will know who God is. It's a sacred calling. This is why we need to honor marriage above our kids. Elevating the importance of your spouse more than you elevate the importance of your children. Being more committed to your spouse than you are to your kids because it's out of the commitment to your spouse that it bleeds into your commitment to your kids. The Hebrew writer would give some final directions in this first century letter that we call Hebrews. And this was accepted by the early church as scripture. And the Holy Spirit inspired, inspired this writer to write this as he addressed marriage. He says, marriage should be honored. And I want you to circle that word honored because it's important. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. The Greek word that is used here for honored can also be seen in Greek language as precious or valued. See, this is how we need to value marriage. However, our culture does not value 
marriage this way. Our lives do not reflect, do our lives really reflect the value, the priceless nature of our marriage? Do your kids see your relationship, husbands and wives, as, and, as valuable, that you see each other as valuable? Do your kids, see your kids need to know that you see each other as priceless. This is what your kids need to know. This is what your grandkids need to know. Your kids want to know and they need to know that you keep your relationship with each other as sacred. It's pure. It's holy. It's set apart for God because we're set apart for each other. It's honored. See, marriage is to be honored because it is a reflection of our holy God. This is the reason God judges the adulterer and there's judgment in the sexually immoral because sexually immorality destroys the institution of the family that is built on marriage. The first institution God ever made. The family between a husband and a wife. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. When Genesis chapter 2, we read that God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And in this, God gave man a gift in a wife. And in this, after stating that he made male and female in his image and blessing them and telling them to multiply, God makes a declaration that he said about nothing else in creation. While everything else was good, at this moment that he that we, we read about the narrative of God creating male and female in his image. He created them and blessed them and multiplied. He said it is very good. It reflects the nature of our holy God. See, marriage in its purest form reflects our holy God. Now, the apostle Paul would instruct Timothy. He would write to Timothy and, and to direct the people to see marriage differently than the deceptive teachings that were in the culture. And this is what Paul would write to Timothy. He would say, they forbid people to marry. They, there was actually law. They were trying to keep people from doing this and ordering them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received. Look at this. Received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See, not only is food to be received with thanksgiving, but have you ever thought about your marriage? That your marriage needs to be received as a gift. That you are thankful. See, God created marriage to be received with thanksgiving. This was, the, when was the last time, husbands, let me just ask you this. When was the last time that you saw and treated your wife with honor and value? And, and you treated her as, 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 and saw her and treated her because you saw her this way as a precious gift. Women, wives, when was the last time that you honored and treated your husband and valued your husband as a priceless gift? Because marriage is a gift. It's a gift from God that we receive with thanksgiving. We continually receive it with thanksgiving. Now, you may not see this as a gift. You may see it, and I respectfully say this, you may see this as a burden. And notwithstanding anything outside the realms, and so withstanding anything in the realms of abuse, sexually or emotionally abuse here, I want to let you know that I understand that marriage may be hard. And marriage may be difficult. But I want you to know that outside the emotional abuse or sexual abuse or physical abuse, marriage is a part of our life to make us more like Jesus. Maybe that's the gift that God's giving you by giving your spouse to you. 
This is the gift to make you and I more like Jesus, to make us more godly. So we need to renew our thinking about maybe what marriage is. Maybe you need to renew your thinking today. Maybe you've been in in this relationship. It's been difficult for the beginning, and now it's just dawning on you. Oh, this is what God's doing in my life. He's making me more like him. Now, Paul would write to a church in Corinth, and, and he would write to this Corinthian church about marriage, and he would address single people too. And he would say, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. So single men, you can live your life concerned about the Lord's affairs, how you can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. This is her calling. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, Paul writes, but that you, and this is for both singles and marries, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. This is Paul's instructions for both married and singles that we are to live in undivided devotion. Undivided devotion. Jesus-centered in your life. Undivided devotion to Jesus. Married couples, you respond to Jesus by loving and serving your spouse. By, by pleasing your spouse. This is how you serve Jesus. And, 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 and this is how we minister to one another. See, marriage is a commitment to the Lord by ministering to our spouse. This is our role in marriage, that, that we commit to the Lord. And out of our commitment to the Lord, we now minister to our spouse. This is how we offer our devotion to Jesus, by de- being devoted to serve our spouse. Now, for those of you who are single, I want you to know that being single is a gift too. Maybe it's a gift for a season. For others, it's a gift for a lifetime. See, being single is also a gift so we can commit our lives to following Jesus. This is your gift. It's an opportunity for you to be fully devoted to God. Single parents, you have a gift that you can give in, in, in for a season or, or, or for a lifetime. That, that those who are single, that you can do this. And for those that are single without kids, you have a, a gift and a calling as well. You can center your lives on Jesus and show your devotion to God, but in a very special way. Now, when Paul talks about the family, he he, he addresses other churches about the family in very short passages. And the other passage that he uses that we see in the New Testament is in Ephesians. He uses this in Ephesians. And listen to how Paul instructs this church in Ephesus. Now, this is for all of us right here, single, married, alike. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Isn't that what we all are? I mean, every one of us here that put our trust in Jesus and are following him as Savior, to those that receive him, John says, and believe in his name, to them they become the children of God. And this is what we are. We're dearly loved children. So we need to follow God's example, who is our perfect heavenly father. We just need to be like our heavenly father, our heavenly daddy. And this is what Paul says. It's his example. Therefore, we walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul would again use the law of Christ 
this command that Jesus would give the night before he would go to the cross, to love one another as I have loved you. He would elevate this as the law of Christ, to be the governing law, to be the governing law in your faith, to be the governing law in your marriage, to be the governing law as a parent, to be be the governing law in your relationships, to love one another as Christ has loved you. Love for your spouse and love for your kids is a love that gives up our lives and the rights for the sake of Jesus and others. Now, while we don't have any written perfect examples of the parent, we have the perfect example in Christ, and we're going to walk in his way of love, just as he gave himself up for us. He gave up everything for us. And so following Jesus is to give up everything for him. And that means giving up everything for our spouses. And this is an example also for those who are single. And Paul shows us how this works in our marriage though. And here's what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, when Jesus is at the center of your life, you will submit and be mutually submitted to one another. See, when you have this awe and reverence that Jesus is Lord of your life, it's going to lead you to submit to one another. And Paul talks about this in the marriage relationship. Wives, he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now, I just want to let you know, women, that I know that this is a very difficult passage, and in history, many people have abused this passage. They've stopped reading right here, and they've used this to suppress and oppress women. But men, our command is harder. See, what Paul says next, immediately next, is address an address to men on how this looks like in our world. Husbands, Love your wives. Well, I love them. No, 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 no. Let me remind you, Paul would say, how you're to love your wife. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way. In this same way. Husbands, in this same way, I humbly beg you to love your wives as your own bodies. Because Paul would write this, he who loves his wife loves himself. And so husbands, I'm going to put the pressure on you right now. It's pressure on me. If you're honest with yourself, well, you just say, be honest with yourself today. I mean, if you can't be honest with yourself, who, can be, who, who really can you be honest with? Will you answer this? Do, does your wife believe, not do you believe, but does your wife see and believe that you would give up everything for her? Do your kids believe that you would give up everything? Not for them, but for her. Would you give up your career? Would you give up your hobbies? 
Or do you use marriage as a, to give you permission to do and pursue your selfish desires? See, a godly, Jesus-centered marriage is selfless. And when it's selfless, it's sacred. A godly, Jesus-centered marriage is selfless. And when it's selfless, it is sacred. Mutually submitted to one another is selfless love that is a sacred union. The best gift a husband can give is living Jesus-centered by loving and honoring his wife the way Jesus loves him. Husbands, does your, do your kids know that you honor your wife? Do your kids know, see how valuable and priceless your wife is to you? See, I want my kids to honor my wife, but they got to see this in me before they can honor her. This is why in our home, around the table, my wife is so gracious and she's so, so, so amazing. She cooks for us on a regular basis. I have not that gift. It's peanut butter and jelly night when I'm in charge. And so when she's making dinner, we don't sit at the table waiting. We stand at the table waiting because she's honored. She's valuable. She's priceless. And only when she takes her seat do we take our seat. It doesn't matter if people are there or not. See, I want my kids to see that I honor her. And they, they must hear me speak respectfully and lovingly to her as a valuable, priceless, honored gift to me. Do you spend more time putting effort into providing for your kids than you do in loving and honoring your wives, men? Husbands, maybe some of us need to repent today. Maybe some of us need to uh, repent for, to, to God, uh, but also to our wives and also repent to our children that we haven't honored our wives the way God has called us to. Paul gives a little more instruction and re reminds the husbands of this. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And then he directs this to the women. And he says this, and wife, the wives, the wife must respect her husband. Out of reverence for the Lord, wives, we respect our husbands. Now, I don't know any woman, just to be honest with you men, I don't know any woman who wouldn't respect a husband who is selfless in this way of love. Now, women, I know that sometimes in your marriage, a husband isn't acting respectable. And when a husband isn't following God's example, you can center your life on Jesus still because you're submitted to Jesus first. And out of this, you can respect your husband in a loving way. So the best gift a wife can give is li uh, living Jesus-centered by loving and respecting her husband the way Jesus loves her. Wives, you can find a way to respect him in submission to Christ. Respect for others is a reflection of our attitude and our submission to God. And this is a reflection of being Jesus-centered. So I want to ask us all a question today. I want to ask you a question. Where's Jesus at in your life? Is he in the center? Is Jesus in the center of your life? And is he, is he the center of your marriage is Jesus, uh, you're, are you submitted, both of you submitted in your marriage to Jesus as Lord? Is Jesus in scripture the, 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 the central authority in your life is what it means to follow him? Where, where is this? 
Single people, where is Jesus in in your life? And where is Jesus in the relationships around you? Is Jesus central? Because I want you to know something. I want you to know something. That where Jesus is in your life determines your ride in life. And for those of you, it's like a tandem bicycle because you're married. If you're single, just forget that there's another seat on here, okay? But this is what I want to ask you. I want you to look at the bicycle that's on your notes. Will you indicate where you are? Just quickly, before we leave, will you indicate where you are? In, in your relationship. Husbands, and all, you, you need to do this together, but just for you, just for you, you, you take care of you. No, don't judge your wife. Wives, don't judge your husband. This is for you. Where are you in this? Has Jesus, the center, or has finances pulled Jesus off-centered? Has, has maybe, the, instead of Jesus being the center, maybe, maybe there's something else. Maybe your kids have been the center, and it's pulling Jesus off-center. Maybe there's a career that's pushing Jesus off-center in your life. Now here, I, I just want to just make a, a, an easy point here. If I have one, one wheel that's off-centered, who does that affect in the ride? Both the husband and the wife. It affects all on that journey. But when Jesus is at the center of your life, husbands and wives, when Jesus is at the center of your life, single people, when Jesus is at the center of your life, I want you to know something very important. That when Jesus is the center of our lives, you can make it through anything in this life. Because you can have the best house, you can have it all together, you can have money in the bank account, you can have a great 401k, you can have it all, you can have a career retirement, you can name it. And that ride will be rough and rocky for all. It looks like everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, you are ruined because Jesus is not the center and the pavement on life is perfect. But when Jesus is at the center, I want you to know you can go off-road. Life can be hard and difficult. It can be a no days off grind in your face, pedal to the metal. We, it feels like the wheels are off, but they're not because Jesus is at the center and I can make it through the toughest terrain. And we can make it through the toughest terrain in our marriage. And single people, when your life is centered on Jesus and you're putting Jesus-centered people around your life, you're connected and you're going to make it through this life. So I want to ask you today, where is Jesus and what do you need to do to make him the center? Maybe today's a day of repentance. You need to talk with your spouse or your kids. Maybe today is a day you say, Jesus, I'm committed to make you the center. Will you bow your head with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for being the perfect heavenly father who gives us the example on how we can love and lead in our homes. And Father, many of us are wrestling with this right now, and I pray that you give us the courage to be honest with ourselves, listening to the Holy Spirit's guidance and leading. And I ask you right now that you give us the courage to walk in faith, submitting to Jesus as Lord. And for those of us who are married, may we submit to one another. And husbands love our wives, and wives love and respect our husbands husbands and in this god may we put our marriage as a primary factor because this is the best gift we can give our kids and for those of us who are single jesus may we make you the center of our life because we know that as we reflect you those in our life will see you and that's what we want them to have your life in jesus name we pray our prayer partners will be available. They'd love to pray.